Welcome to the Coast to Coast podcast. My name is Kyle. And I'm Misha. And today we're going to be talking about Sam Mendez's uh, 1917, as well as the release of the 2020 Academy Award nominations. We're also going to dive a little bit into uh, esports and sports in general, two topics that we've somewhat neglected in the recent past. And we'll also touch on um, a segment uh, kind of proposed to us by one of our listeners. But um, before that, how's, how's it going, Kyle? Pretty good. I am. I've gone to the movies three nights in a row. Damn. Um. So I've been doing. I'm still doing like a an experiment for the theaters in my area. I've gone to pretty much all the Regals that I could so far, and they're all different in their own ways. Some I like never unique go back little to. snowflakes. Yeah. Some are terrible. Some just the. It's just old. Um. The projector doesn't seem to like have the right like lumens. It's not ever bright enough. <laughs> but um, I can't tell so you. So I'm sure watching 1917 on that screen probably would have been a challenge. Yes, I'm glad I wasn't in that theater for that movie. Um, but the one commonality they all kind of share, and I don't know if this is just a movie theater thing in general, but mm. it's the service is so slow. Every every theater I go to. Do you guys not have like reserved seating? No, we do have reserved seating. It's more so for like concessions. Oh, or even yeah. for like buying the tickets. Because so even though I have the Regal Unlimited, if I mm-hmm. buy the ticket from my phone, it still charges me a convenience fee, which is kind of it's obnoxious. Kind of, yeah, but if I get at the theater, then I don't have to pay for it, so it's free. Um, so like the lines will sometimes be long and. Nowadays, there's not even like the people with the tickets in the front. You have to buy your tickets yeah. from the concession stand. What? <laughs> That's strange. Yeah. Yeah, we, we do Cinemark Movie Club, and I'm pretty sure that we get like a, a free ticket uh, once a month, and then you like accrue points when you buy movie tickets or snacks that you can like roll over into other movie tickets. Um, and as far as I, I know, I don't think there's any like convenience fees or anything like um, that has been really enjoyable it kind of makes me wonder like why people were so into movie pass mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so many like a year and a half ago <laughs> um but we just had another i don't know if you've ever heard of synopolis no is is like a movie theater chain that apparently exists um <laughs> and we just had one built right next like right down the street from us and from what we hear it's like it's gonna be crazy it's got like instead of seats you can basically reserve like a two-seater couch it's like a it's like a love seat basically and then they have servers that like come throughout the movie up until like 45 minutes until the end of the movie and you can order like snacks or even like meals and drinks and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. um we tried to go for 1917 but it was like sold out predictably yeah um but I feel like the prospect of being able to rent a couch in a movie theater is somewhat <laughs> troublesome. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's not like in the back corner. Yeah. Could, yeah. So yeah. so we'll see. You know, with the demographic that movie theaters can sometimes draw. Yeah, I stay away from those those showings. Try to at least. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I don't know about you, but I recently watched the Netflix documentary series "Don't Fuck with Cats." Mm-hmm. Nope, I haven't seen have it. You, uh, have you given it a watch? I would definitely recommend that um, to the viewers or listeners. 
Um, it's like one of those kind of like true crime documentaries, but with sort of like an internet sleuth twist. Right. Um, and it, it's crazy, like with the advent of the internet, how much it has helped in like identifying John Doe's or like helping to solve like murder mysteries, like in this case. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of a really interesting profile of this criminal and the internet sleuths that kind of went after him. But what's it to do with um, cats? So, uh, so they they like start the the documentary by like establishing this hallmark rule of the internet, which is apparently don't fuck with cats, which isn't too well known to me. But I'll I'll kind of take it at face value. I'd say yes, generally people are fans of violence towards cats, but. Mm -hmm. um, it's basically like psychopaths or like serial killers usually start by like with violence towards animals and then that like the pleasure they get from that isn't like enough anymore and they have to move on to humans and uh -huh. so that, that's kind of how this criminal got started this luca magnata guy he started with like he was basically in, in it for like the notoriety mm -hmm. um and like posted his first videos of him basically it's it's pretty graphic so i would definitely you know like warn people before viewing it but he basically like vacuum seals these two kittens in the vacuum bag and it's like really dark and obviously it like outraged all these people um but one of the themes was essentially you know it sort of sort of pointed the finger back at viewers and at the internet sleuths themselves and it's like are you really helping or are you really kind of stoking the fire and giving the people the satisfaction that they want? Um, you know, it, it's like when they like with like a bully, they tell you not to like retaliate because that's what they want. They want to get like a rise out of you. Right. It's better like ignore them. So, um, explored that a little bit too, but it was, it was pretty entertaining and it's only three episodes that are like an hour long. So oh, that's not bad. Like shorter than the hour. Yeah. I just finished um, You on Netflix. Oh, the second season? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did you think? I, th I think I liked the first season better. Um, mm -hmm. But the second one, it was, I mean, it was still pretty well done. I'm interested to see how the third season is going to turn out. Um, I would have ended so, it differently. So you feel like they left it open for a third season? Yeah, so, um, yeah, there's there, there will be a third season, but it's okay. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I I kind of like I didn't really watch the first season. I watched a few episodes kind of passively while Shannon was watching it, mm -hmm. and uh, I've seen a couple. She's probably like four episodes into the new season. Um, this season seems a little more intense than the first one, though. It is, and I think that's just because all the money that Netflix kind of got for the second season. Yeah. Um, the show was originally, I think, on Hallmark. And was it really? There was a few episodes, and it wasn't doing too well, and Netflix ended up buying it. And then it kind of blew up from there. Yeah. Weird, yeah, I'm surprised. Like a weird Hallmark show. Surprised to hear that Hallmark was behind it because they're not necessarily the like pariah of <laughs> film and <laughs> film and tv it's like hallmark or lifetime one of those one of those stations um but anyway going into um our movie of the night 1917 um this movie is definitely um 
new and I would say pretty groundbreaking for like the world of cinema, the way how there was this sort of illusion of being one continuous shot and the way that Sam Mendes kind of tells the story of these two soldiers fighting their way through um, World War One lines to get a message to one of their battalions. Um, did you have any f initial um, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, so obviously this movie screened uh, in time to be considered for both the Golden Globes and the Oscars, and to me, this is like my best picture frontrunner for the Oscars. Um, personally, I enjoyed this movie about the same, if not maybe a little more than I enjoyed Parasite. Um, I was just like totally engrossed the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, it's sort of stylized to be like one continuous take. So it, you really feel like engrossed in all the action and what both Sam Mendes and the person who I think deserves the most of the credit here, cinematographer Roger Deakins, um, what they said was, you know, this was like the only style that they could have pictured for this movie because it places you in like the passenger seat um, for the mission. Um, and, you know, it, it, it really, it was really captivating. I would say it's, um, it's existence it's at, at all is kind of like strange. It doesn't star like famous people, even mm -hmm. though there's like a few like well-known names we run into as the movie kind of progresses, but those are like basically cameos and it's centered around a war that not many people even talk about. Um, yeah. There, there's really not too many world war one movies when you think of it. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's mainly because of the style of warfare that was pretty much deployed during that time, which was this like kind of theatrically seemingly boring trench warfare. Yeah, I was um, gonna say that the the two wars are roughly only like twenty some years apart, but there's mm -hmm. still something about World War Two that kind of feels more modern in terms of like warfare. Yeah, and yeah, and that from like a cinematic perspective feels a, little, a bit more like romantic. Mm-hmm. For me, this was, I think this was something that was more appealing about 1917. And I know it was a brutal war um, and all that, but it just, it seemed like it was a bit more cinematic than if you were just to film World War II, where everything was like constant chaos all the time. Right, right. Yeah, like I feel the thing that struck me about this movie you know, after I watched it was it felt so much more intimate than the war movies I've watched. Um, you know, one of my favorites, and I'm sure probably for you too, is Saving Private Ryan. Mm -hmm. And that there are many very like visceral and emotional scenes where people are like confronting death or their fear of death or, or whatever it is. But like, I feel like this sort of isolated s storytelling method made the emotions of the two central characters that much more um just like gripping and ineffective but um yeah I, I mean i think it was sort of like almost like a first foray into like a world war one action movie um, yeah and i was a little bit skeptical of the whole one continuous shot thing mm -hmm. um i was worried it might get like a little too cute um kind of like have you did you ever see the movie birdman yeah birdman was definitely one that that kind of struck stro like strive for the same effect yeah but this one it kind of went in the opposite direction and it was effective and like you said it kind of feels like we were in world war one for those two mm -hmm. hours and 
like I said, it was basically buying a ticket to experience like <laughs> hell for two hours. Yeah, because well, what Birdman did was like it was seemingly one continuous take from the camera's perspective, but mm-hmm. the characters were experiencing like the passage of time. Um, yeah, a little bit more, like, you know. Yeah, and and you know, scenes changed and characters were in different places than they were before. But this one, like, truly was, you know, for all intents and purposes, one take that followed these two soldiers. On it, it, the whole movie is essentially this one mission for them to deliver this news to this battalion that they're getting ready to be ambushed, and you know what transpires along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, behind that storytelling method was some pretty, uh, pretty incredible like cinematography tricks. Um, so obviously with everything being essentially one take they had to rehearse um basically the entire walkthrough of the film before doing anything that includes like building sets um digging the trenches that were played like a pretty key part in the movie um building some of the like the broken buildings and cities that the main characters run through that may seem sort of chaotic and um almost historical very very intentional with like the placement of walls and columns and things like that um so there was like really meticulous preparation that went in um not to mention you know the cinematographic is that a word (laughs) um just like artistry of of roger deakins who i mean if you look at this guy's film like i i couldn't even i could take the entire episode to talk about his films i mean he's got like Mm -hmm. shawshank He's done a lot of work with the Coen brothers, um, obviously worked with Sam Mendes before on Skyfall, um, and most recently won for his cinematography in Blade Runner, the remake. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I could see him winning the cinematography award this year. And kind of like a side note, I didn't realize mm-hmm. that this story was told. Sam Mendes got the story from his grandfather. Is that what I saw at the end? Yeah, so, you know, basically... The internet, again, in sort of this internet sleuth capacity kind of looked into it, and there wasn't really, um, you know, a, like, th- this was basically a, a fabricated story, but it was based on oh, Sam Mendes' grandfather's, like, experience of World War One. Mm, okay. Copy that. Roger, Roger. Yeah. Because, like, the thing about war movies to me, or even just, like, war stories, is it's, like, if you really break down wars into like the day to day or the week to week, there's so many individual acts of heroism that go untold. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this was a pretty cool one. Did you think that, and um, I don't know if we're going to get into spoilers, but there was a scene mm-hmm. that, that is probably my, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And I, and I still think about it is as Schofield um, approaches mm-hmm. another soldier, it's nighttime yeah. The only light is from the city being on fire, which kind of casts the approaching like soldier as like a silhouette almost. Right. And he seems friendly and then without warning he just <laughs> aims his rifle and starts <laughs> charging at him. And it's literally like something out of like a horror film or like a nightmare as a nightmare, yeah. As Schofield all he can do is just run and nineteen seventeen often plays as like this horror movie that you're watching and the sounds of the bullets ricocheting and screams that are happening uh through the speakers um oh yeah a hundred percent like and that that 
moment that you're describing basically kicked off like a 20 minute chase scene between Schofield and these like um, seemingly like German or Austrian soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel like that effect was so strong in many parts of the film. There's also, you know, the scene very early on where um, the two characters are exploring like a German trench and they hit like this, like the trip wire that essentially starts bringing the whole trench down. Mm-hmm. And like, again, it was just so chaotic and it, it really places you kind of in the scene with them. Right. And um, then kind of going off of that and, um, when I was thinking about this and it kind of seemed like a negative in my mind, but I don't mean mm-hmm. it that way, but the nature of, of the one continuous shot and the fact that we are with only two characters and, and sometimes one creates kind of like this situation where these characters almost become like avatars. Mm-hmm. It's like, like we, the audience are on this mission, just like kind of like a video game, like the last of us, for example. <laughs> sure. Um, but Almost like, like one of those like decision-based video games where you're not really playing, you're just kind of like making the choices. Yeah, and it's like we as the audience are are trying to complete the mission, and we're playing as them. And of course, this style leads to maybe like a lack of emotional connection at times. Sure. Um, although there's like, I mean, there's a banger of a scene that's nothing but emotion. Um, <laughs> but it's like we get our orders to go to the front line, and then we just go. But I think the more I th- think about that style is i think that's kind of sam mendes point you know his goal is to definitely put us in world war one for two hours so you know it's not a pleasant experience um, sure but i think that's kind of what the movie is trying to trying to uh try to convey yeah convey to the audience sure yeah I, i mean i feel like it it definitely succeeded in its like most emotion like the most climactic emotional moments. There were definitely parts where like you could almost tell they were trying to fill like two hours of a one continuous take style movie. Like in the first ten minutes, there's like a good part of it is this just them like winding through the trenches. Um and, and I don't know if that's to like maybe bring about this like feeling of like anxiety or confusion, but you kind of ran a little long and you're like, okay, like we get it. They're, they're in trenches, you know? Um, But I mean, to me, just like the Marvel of this movie was just the the camera work um, and some of the sets they built. Um, So if like insider basically released this sort of 10 minute behind the scenes video on YouTube, and I'd really kind of recommend giving it a watch because I can't necessarily do it in justice in words, but like, Every every piece of the set was meticulous created by their production design department. Um, and it, it all had its purposes. And, you know, they basically tracked the line that the camera was going to move on throughout the entire film. Um, and one interesting thing that was like a pretty conscious choice by the team was the camera was always moving forward, um, which sort of, you know, contributed to this effect of them being on this really like harrowing journey always kind of moving forward through enemy territory um but one thing i thought was really cool was the way they modeled the sets in sort of miniature form they not only modeled the sets but they in some scenes there's like a scene where the only lighting in the shot is from a flare they would even model what the lighting would look like and how the like the shadows would be cast by the flares with little mini like many lights that they would rig over the models 
Um, so it, it just like the, the amount of detail was so incredible. And then obviously with this sort of like one take style, they use some pretty uh, interesting set tricks where like walls would come apart or windows would collapse as like people, you know, the, the cinematographers with their like steady cams would step through them. Um, I, I definitely recommend that behind the scenes video because it's just like jaw dropping the amount of effort that went into the film. Good. And I can link that in the show description below. So if you're um, on any app and if you just go to the show description, you there'll be a link for the video there for you. Um, but uh, but yeah. yeah, overall, like, I don't think this will win any acting awards. Like you said, there are some big names, but mostly in cameo formats. Um, you know, I think moving on to our next topic of Oscar nominations, it'll definitely contend there. Yep. So um verdicts definitely go see this movie if you have the chance definitely go see it on the big screen if you have um the chance as well and certainly one of the best films of the year moving on to our oscar talk um so today as we're recording this oscar nominations came out i don't think the oscars are set to premiere until the first week of february is that correct yeah i think it's yeah, it's sometime in February. Yeah, so there was a lot of um, initial kind of ranting and, and a little bit of raving on, on Twitter and online about who wasn't nominated, who was nominated, um, and all that thing. And we'll get to the snubs a little bit later, but um, right now, I guess, do you want to kind of go over our, our predictions for who's going to win, at least for a couple of categories? Yeah, I think for the big ones, um, I'm pretty confident in my predictions. Um, and then we can maybe we could go into like some snubs, some people that we thought might have been left out that should have been up there. All right. Do um, you want to start with? Um, I don't know if we should jump right into best picture, but um, um, why don't we start with actor then? Okay. Um, I think this one, I think this has kind of been something that we've, we might sound like a broken record on the podcast, but I think Joaquin Phoenix is going to easy um, kind of write in for, for best actor, having already won the Golden Globe and um, just that, that is usually a pretty good predictor for, um, especially in the drama category for the best actor in the, in the Academy Awards. So for me, um... I actually have for best actor I have Adam Driver in Marriage Story. Interesting. Um did you see that one? I did. Yes. Yeah. Um so this this is definitely a year full of excellent lead performances. Um Joaquin Phoenix has kind of been with me at the top for the longest time and I just only saw Marriage Story maybe last week. So maybe mm -hmm. I'm having some like recency bias for, towards that, but I think his portrayal and like the way he deliberately portrays like a man struggling between like his love of his career mm -hmm. and his family. Um, it was pretty great to watch. And, and again, I would be happy for any actor coming away with this. Cause I think they all did a phenomenal job, but I think his performance is something that I am going to remember most, even if I um, remember the other movies more, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. No, that, that Makes sense. And I, I kind of agree with what you said. Like, I'd be fine with any of these actors winning because it's not one of, like, there's not anybody up there that just wins ad nauseum and you're just like, ah, like, okay, like, give it to him again or something like that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so um, we'll move to best actress. Yeah, this one is, for me is hard um, because I really haven't seen any of these women in, in <laughs> their roles except for Scarlett Johansson. Um, I actually thought that Skojo was going to win at the Golden Globes um, because I, I thought she almost like outperformed Adam Driver in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, w- without having seen the other ones, it's a little hard to tell, but that would probably be my confident pick would be Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, I actually have Scarlett Johansson as well. Um, and like I said, like Adam Driver, she brings like this really strong performance. One of the, I think, most honest performances of her career, even where you never feel like you're watching two actors on a screen. Yeah. And to me, that's what great acting is. Yeah. They, they, and they complimented each other so well. Like it, it never felt for a second, like they were actually like, sometimes you can tell things feel a little bit forced, um, especially in these really like um dramatic like romance mm-hmm. movies or stories about love or marriage or whatever it is these complicated themes but um yeah I, I really enjoyed her performance as well you know i know we said we'd get to like snubs and things like that but i have an opinion on the way the academy award does their you know their nominations mm-hmm. so obviously there were were some pretty big snubs for lead actor include taron edgerton who won a golden globe for his portrayal of elton john um, and then Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems, which was one that we know that he was very adamant about. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, about a decade ago, the Academy opened up the Best Picture category to allow for 10 nominations. I don't understand, like, why they don't just do the same for the other categories. Yeah. Um, I feel like the voting body is large enough that, like, you'd still have a majority, like, consensus winner, but you'd still be able to give credence to people that you know performed really well yeah it's i on my list of snubs i have a whole i have a whole list and yeah because um, <laughs> there were a lot yeah there was a lot and so i guess if we try to stay positive recognize all the actors who deserved more <laughs> um awards i guess there's like you said, there's various reasons certain actors don't get recognized as much as they should from, you know, like older actors, like sucking up like le- legacy nominations as kind of like makeup for previous snubs. I've seen that a lot. Sure. Kind of yeah. going on and the size of roles and all this stuff. And like, I think more so it's the poor taste, I think, of the voters. Um, sure. Yeah, because the demographic of the voters is largely like older i think the average age is like above 60 mm-hmm. um and predominantly white yeah but did you want to get into snubs or kind of head no back? we can keep going we can keep on so kind of talking about which also is kind of historical my best um supporting actress is actually hmm. also scarlett johansson I have her for Jojo Rabbit. So I have her winning Best Supporting Actress and Best Actress. Best which Actress. <laughs> no actor or actress has ever won two Oscars in the same year. Um, I don't even think many even get nominated for both. That um, would be crazy to go from playing Black Widow and then just <laughs> like win two Oscars on people. But I feel like, like this year, year yeah, this this could be the year that breaks the trend. And I'm going to say... 
from my experience with Scarlett um, Johansson, I think this year is definitely one, two of her best performances of, of her career. Yeah, so I didn't see Jojo Rabbit yet. I, I still have to kind of go back and, you know, I usually like to watch all the Best Picture nominees. Mm -hmm. So I'm missing like Ford versus Ferrari, Jojo Rabbit, mm -hmm. uh, Little Women. Um, but like t with confidence in this category, I would probably have to say that Laura Dern would stand out as the favorite to me. Um, mm -hmm. she, she's been having a great couple of years. Um, just, you know, from acc accolades wise. Um, and she also starred in little women recently, which garnered a lot of awards, um, or award nominations. Um, but I, I don't know. I just kind of see her being the favorite to win this category, especially having already won the Golden Globe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen Little Women yet, so that could be part of my um, – I mean, because there was two, right? Her and Florence yeah. was also uh, nominated. Yeah, so Laura Dern was nominated for Marriage Story, um, but oh, Florence, Pugh, oh, okay. Florence Pugh was nominated for Little Women. Gotcha, gotcha, um, gotcha. So Which Shannon tells me is fantastic, but interesting. Laura Dern, what? She was in Little Women. Yeah, she, but was she in wasn't Little nominated Woman. for Little Women. Yeah, I exactly. That. Oh, okay. Well, interesting. Good for her. And then, in terms of best supporting actor, um, this was kind of tough for me. Um, I really, I really enjoyed. Um, Daniel Craig in Knives Out, um, and to be honest, I I really enjoyed um, Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I had to go with uh, Brad Pitt on this one. Um, I would definitely say we all love Brad. He's cool. He looks good on the screen, and I think um, I mean he's just cool as hell in this movie. So I'm giving him my yeah. vote. I really enjoyed him in this movie too. And like I was telling Shannon during the Golden Globes when Brad Pitt was giving his speech, I was like, he seems like a really cool dude. Like mm -hmm. I just want to like have a beer with Brad Pitt, which <laughs> right. will never happen. But if you're listening. one can one can kind of dream. Uh, I doubt he's listening. Yeah. Um <laughs> and while he has momentum from the Golden Globes, I honestly think that the Academy might be a little more endeared towards Al Pacino's performance in The Irishman. Mm -hmm. You know, Al Pacino gets made fun of a lot for just kind of being like a yeller and just like being a little bit like outrageous as an actor. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought his portrayal of Jimmy Hoffa was pretty good. Um, I don't think Joe Pesci really had the amount of screen time that is really in my mind, um, you know, like necessitates winning a supporting actor. Um, I haven't really seen the two popes, so I can't really say there. Um, but yeah, I, th I think Al Pacino is probably my favorite. Um, and fun fact, as like acclaimed as an actor as Tom Hanks is, this is his first Oscar nomination since 2001. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is surprising given all the roles that he's played during that time, mm -hmm. you know, like ranging from Captain Phillips to Sully, and you know how the Academy loves um, people who play real people. Right. Um, but I think we could see someone like that winning in Al Pacino. Yeah, so we'll move on now to we have 
Um, best original screenplay. Yes. Um, now, to me, I feel like Tarantino will win this category. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, I'm going to um, have to go with Marriage Story again. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that's kind of feeling as well looking at the nominees and this is another one that seems like tightly contested like the the weakest point i feel like is 1917 like i wasn't like overly wowed by the screenplay but i was mm-hmm. more by like the cinematography um knives that was fun of course quentin tarantino won for once upon a time in hollywood at the golden globes but yeah i agree with marriage story what what about marriage story screenplay has you thinking that um i just think that it's it's the most um natural sounding dialogue mm-hmm. um, of the year with characters you know, talking over each other coughing screaming um and and more it's all like on the page from what i've seen like in videos like everything was just really well written there's it's never once felt like I was, like I said before, watching characters read lines and that's definitely sure. tough to do. So just how natural everything was and how I was kind of just, um, just kind of brought into this world of these two characters and kind of just sat there as almost like an onlooker of someone's life instead of just sitting in a movie theater, watching a, a film. Sure. Yeah. And this yeah, I'd have to agree. Like the the dialogue seemed really authentic. Um, there were times when it felt maybe a little bit melodramatic and a little bit forced, mm-hmm. um, especially like the most climactic argument that the two of them have. Um, um, but like just as much as dialogue is an aspect of screenplay, like so is like the direction, like the stage direction in the script. Um, and it'd be really interesting to read the scripts in this category because there's so much non-verbally as well that kind of plays into an original screenplay award mm-hmm. um, that I almost feel like we're missing like half the puzzle. Um, but but I would say Marriage Story is my favorite, yeah. And then for best adapted screenplay, um, I certainly have The Irishman as my as my winner. It isn't. I don't think it's easy to adapt a well-known book. Mm-hmm. while also like simultaneously matching the tone that Scorsese's that he uses in his movies and kind of like his signature style of mob films. Sure. So I think um for Steve Zalian how he kind of combines the narration and dialogue kind of pretty perfectly I would say to kind of create like this experience that um that I probably won't f- soon forget. Sure. Did you did you read um I heard you paint houses? Um uh, no, but I did see it in a local bookstore of of mine and I think I'm going to pick it up and try it out. Yeah. The the adapted screenplay is kind of like a weird category because like the Joker is considered like an adapted screenplay when there really isn't like source material for it to be adapted from besides you know kind of the Batman canon. Mm-hmm. Um, Little Women obviously makes sense because of the book. Um, I'm not sure where they adapted the two popes or Jojo Rabbit from, but I feel like sometimes there's like one or two in the category that just seem like like a little bit of a stretch. Hmm. 
Interesting. Um, but my, yeah, I'd probably have to say the Irishman is, well. um, just because this felt, it felt like a story that wasn't adapted from a book, basically. Right. Like you said, um, Martin Scorsese, you know, conveyed this whole tone throughout the film that was uniquely his, while also like respecting the source material. And, you know, he is also usually a pretty heavy favorite at the awards. Yeah, so moving on to, um, I guess, the most popular category of the Oscars is the Best Picture um, category. And for this one, um, it's it's always difficult to pick, which is why, mm-hmm. like you said, the, the um, Academy kind of expanded this category to 10 nominees um but did you have did you want to say yours yeah i mean there's a few that stand out um you know once upon a time in hollywood I, you know i think both best picture winners from both categories in the golden globes mm-hmm. usually make a pretty good showing so i think 1917 and once upon a time in hollywood should be held in pretty high regard um, I think, think statistically movies like the Irishman are probably going to get a little more regard as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the Academy's tendencies towards like historical pieces. Um, and of course, Martin Scorsese as a whole, right. <laughs> um, there are some that I just don't think are going to contend and feel a little bit more, um, like just polite nods to the filmmakers that made them, uh, like parasite was, you know, for me, like my second favorite movie this past year, but I, I really don't feel like it's going to contend all that strongly for mm-hmm. Best Picture. Um, although it did set uh, records for South Korea as being the first South Korean movie to be nominated for um, individually, both Best Picture and Best International Film. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had to choose a favorite, and I might be a little bit biased after, you know, like you said, a little bit of recency bias, I'd probably have to choose 1917 as my prediction. Okay. Um I think, you know, what it did really well. And I think it is one of few movies to be nominated for Best Picture without any nominations in any of the lead or supporting actor roles. Um, and I think it just it stood upon the legs of its direction and its cinematography and its writing. And I think uh, it was just a really enjoyable film to me. And while the Irishman kind of checks all the boxes for the Academy, like I just couldn't get past the three and a half hour runtime. Um, not to mention the fact that it was like a Netflix produced movie, which right. the Academy still hasn't really gotten around to. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I definitely think like you said, 1917 has a really strong, really strong chance. Um, even once upon a time in Hollywood, it's a really strong chance. Um, I'm honestly surprised that Ford vs. Ferrari was even nominated. Yeah, that same. was really surprising um, to me. But I guess people enjoy it, or they're just like you said, kind of like tipping their hat um, mm-hmm. to the producers there. But for me, I actually have, and I have um, my best picture winner as Parasite. And that might really? actually be more so of just me wanting that film to <laughs> yeah. be the best picture and. Of all the films I've seen this year, and it, it's a lot, um, I think... <laughs> and you still have to see, like, 500 <laughs> this year, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Parasite just stuck with me the most, I would say. Um, sure. The direction, the acting, the writing was great. And I think similar to Moonlight in 2016, Parasite truly feels like the film that defines 2019 with its um, like its undertones, the satire sure. of it and the way that it kind of just resembles things that are happening. And it's pretty much it's get out, but with so much more poise and believability, I think. Sure. Yeah. No, like, I, I, trust me, I, I really wanted to win, too. Like, I really enjoyed it. And I'm surprised at the lack of other nominations, you know, whether from like an acting standpoint, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think there are some pretty incredible acting performances, but like good cinema should really be sort of a reflection of the society that we, that we live in. And I feel like the societal, like you said, undertones of this film about, um, you know, income inequality and sort of social parasitism. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was like, it was done in a way that just wasn't super preachy or like right. forced. And it was told within the microcosm of this really compelling story um, that was like both action and horror. And I, I loved it. So, mm. you know, I kind of stand with you on wanting it to win. <laughs> but if I'm using my like predicting mind, right. I, don't, I don't see it winning. Yeah. Do you want to get into your snubs and snub S's? Yes. Um, <laughs> so... I would say for me, um, what's like, what's the biggest one for you? Well, I think biggest shock to me was definitely Adam Sandler. Yeah. Um, I certainly won't shed any tears, um, for a guy as rich as Adam Sandler, who, <laughs> <laughs> who generally gets like to cast his high school buddies for a living and, but whatever. But I think, <laughs> I think that the Academy definitely should have thrown uncut gems, a, a bone here. And pretty yeah. much like the way that this movie was just talked about, like upon its release and how the buzz of Adam Sandler is so great and all this, all that kind of just like went out the window. It's like, yeah, no, no one from the Academy even checked social media. And, but I mean, that just speaks again to the Academy's like demographic, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think the buzz had almost as much to do with like A24's promotion and mm -hmm. their own more like modern marketing tactics. Um, but you're right. It does almost feel like a bit of like a, like a fuck you from the Academy. Like, um, cause this, this film, like people were raving about Adam Sandler and of course, you know, he was getting a little bit like self promotional, but, um, mm -hmm. like looking at the list of best actor nominations, it's a little surprising. He's not up there. Yeah, and I also have, aside from him, my other big one is actually Jennifer Lopez and Hustlers. Yeah. Um, so Jennifer Lopez um, did her best work, I think, in this movie since Out of Sight. But I, I guess a movie about strippers was <laughs> apparently <laughs> too big of a hurdle for the people of the Academy. Um, right. But again... I don't know. I, maybe I'm still pissed at Magic Mike getting snubbed for Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I heard she did a really good job. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, the, the biggest snub for me is another actress um, in Aquafina being snubbed for her performance in The Farewell, mm. um, which I already really enjoyed her performance before her Golden Globe win. 
Um, and obviously she, she won just a few weeks ago. Um, but that one was probably the, one of the biggest surprises for me. Um, not to mention Eddie Murphy, who had also been nominated for Dolomite is my name yeah. at the Golden Globes. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of foresee maybe some frustration um, from the public, especially uh, minorities for what seems like a lack of representation once again in this year's awards. Right. Um, and then and then one that's kind of like a maybe a deeper cut as far as snubs goes and isn't necessarily have to do with like an acting performance was the film editing in 1917. Mm. Um, Cause if you, if you take a look and again, we'll post this video of their like behind the scenes footage. Um, a lot of the scenes that are set in like nighttime with that are seemingly only lit by like fires or flares, mm-hmm. um, you know, are a lot like brighter um, than they appear um, in the final product. And there's obviously a lot of film editing that goes into kind of transform the the sets that they created into this kind of crumbling Austrian or, or French town wherever they were in World War One. Um, but I think there was a lot besides just that. Obviously, like piecing together multiple takes to make it seem like one is a pretty big film editing feat. Um, so I, I thought that was a pretty big snub for me. Did you have William Defoe in the Lighthouse on your list as a snub? I I'm actually surprised that him or Robert Pattinson didn't get. Uh, more consideration for both of those roles. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a snub just because I think the movie was a little bit like risque for most widestream audiences and maybe even the, the Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I think again, like these awards aren't really a reflection of like the effect that these people or these movies and the performances had on us. You know, it's like if the actors left a profound effect on you, then like the movie did its job. And um, I'm fine, you know, praising Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe as great actors, even if a group of geriatrics like didn't vote them to win an award. I also have um, Anthony Kerrigan as Noho Hank and Barry on my list. And I don't care that (laughs) Barry is a TV show. I think they need to figure out how to give this guy an award because it's definitely one of the best characters of all time. Yeah, he's hilarious. I love him. He, like, what a character they've created. And I've I've only gotten through the first season. I understand he has somewhat of a larger role in the second. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, just such great comedic relief. And and also, in general, um, going back to some of the snubs was, I, like, oh, this isn't to be offensive, but in general, I hate the idea of child actors. And yeah. I believe that we'd be a better off as a society <laughs> if all roles for children under 15 were just played by adults in child clothes. Um, sort of like the ancient Greeks. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but, but that being said, there were some actually really incredible acting performances by kids um, in 2019. And the one that stood out to me uh, the most was actually uh julia butters and once upon a time in hollywood um yeah mm-hmm. I, I mean wasn't uh the kid from jojo rabbit nominated for an award oh yeah archie yates yeah um but just for julia like actors playing actors is one of my favorite kinds of acting mm-hmm. and i think that she definitely managed it better than most adults would have no absolutely and like i don't really like the prospect of child actors either but that's mm-hmm. what makes like a great child actor's performance that much greater is it's like, whoa, like 
even like it's not like they got handed a nomination or an award it's like they really earned it mm-hmm. and and i guess whatever happens at the at the oscars this year um it it will happen but for me uh take heart that it probably won't be worse than jared leto winning an oscar for playing a trans woman who dies of aids dedicating <laughs> his award uh to the brave people of ukraine that was such an interesting and cringy thing for me to watch and like i can't wait to see what what cringe we have this year uh i know i it's probably my like one of my more favorite parts of these award shows is like the really high profile awards like accepting the speeches they give Mm -hmm. um and like we already saw some pretty interesting ones especially like joaquin phoenix's at the golden globes oh yeah uh I just can't wait to see what this year brings. Um, and it's it's another year, two years in a row, that the Oscars will not have a host. Um, yeah. So I think they just officially declared a few weeks ago that they're not going to be having an official host, which may seemingly become a trend. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe we'll cut some of the politics out of it. Yeah. But we'll see. Hopefully. But on to our listener mail. So last week we did ask you guys to submit to us um questions things you want us to talk about um on twitter or where you whether you're sending it through a voice message on anchor um and we actually got an interesting question um from someone on twitter again you can reach us on twitter at coast podcast um i think this is supposed to be anonymous it's just a dm and um the question anyway is Um, so it says elton john is only an emmy away from the full egot which if you're not familiar with that term it's pretty much just it's an acronym for emmy grammy oscar and tony and it's pretty much in reference to someone who has won all four awards so so again elton john's is only one away so instead of of the easy way and have him just write a song or host a one-time variety show can you can you all pitch characters played by elton john as a special reoccurring guest that could win him an emmy (laughs) (laughs) so thanks thanks for this question looks like your name is aaron so thanks aaron for uh thanks dude this obscure question um the first we kind of talked about this off air but the first thing that popped to my mind was have elton john as a sad piano bar player in the mandalorian yeah i could see it maybe Um, like disguised as some like outlandish looking alien that the mando maybe like befriends and elton john just like passes on wisdom through his like alien songs yeah we'll need to get him a role in an emmy bait kind of show and yeah, I think the obvious answer is for him to appear in Fleabag. <laughs> um, if they do a season three, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would like it, but um, but we'll see. Um, the the one that immediately came to my mind just because of his like flamboyance. Uh, so obviously, there's been like a lot of speculation about spinoff stories for the Game of Thrones series. Um, and they obviously announced that they're going to be doing sort of a prequel series. Mm-hmm. Um, but one that was speculated was like this Adventures of Arya as she ventures off to Essos and like 
the Shadowlands. <laughs> and I can see Elton John being this like colorful Game of Thrones either like he could really be any like protagonist or villain that's just like surrounded by exotic animals and like lives in this sort of like, I don't know like tropical jungle temple or something like that seems like the best fit for me yeah <laughs> I guess I have two other ideas um, just because um, I guess again these shows are just like pretty heavy for Emmys um, either one make him a new Mexico like weed kingpin on Better Call Saul <laughs> Or, like almost like a Gus character. Yeah. <laughs> or to, um, well, either a murderous robot on Westworld because that's coming back and that's probably gonna win an Emmy. Yeah. Um, but definitely Emmy bait. Or make him a like a rival, like media titan on Succession. If you ever seen that show, <laughs> um, I think sure, he would do well on there. He kind of looks like a more colorful, flamboyant version of Brian Cox, so it could be like his like evil twin. Uh huh. Yeah, I've, I think this uh, is a pretty solid start. Yeah. Uh, besides robots in Westworld, I could also see him being like one of these like elite, rich magnates who, like, creates a clone of his own in Westworld. Oh, interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I never thought about if, that. I feel like this third season is mainly going to take place in the outside world now that the, um, what are they called? I don't know. It's been so long since <laughs> I've seen that show. He could be anything. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, uh, there's another question. Sorry. It's from Jeremy. Um, and so if you don't get to all yours, we don't see them all. all um, I'm looking at it now. So thanks Aaron for that one. Um, and then Jeremy says, um, Looks like this is actually at you. It says, congratulations, Misha. You're in charge of HBO now. For your first order of business, you can add any one actor or actress to any show. You can put Matthew oh McConaughey gosh. in Barry as Noho Hank's boss. Or you can put Keanu in Succession as an assassin. You can do whatever you want. Who is going where and why? Thanks. Wow. So oh, my gosh. That's that, a tough one. That's an excellent <laughs> question, Jeremy. There's so many possibilities. Oh man, I'm trying to think of like what I'm watching right now and mm -hmm. what could use like an entrant into the show. Um, oh my gosh, do you want to give this a try while I think of some? Yeah. So, part one of my answer is is the same answer I give whenever anyone asks me what actor actors I should or I would add to a show. Um, and it's either one Jason Statham. And then nowadays, too, I have Tracy Morgan. Um, so, like, <laughs> picture any great drama of the past 15 years and just add Tracy Morgan to it. Sure. And, yeah. <laughs> it may not be better, but it, it's at least very much more interesting. Like, if you can imagine, like, Tracy Morgan on, like, Mad Men or Tracy Morgan on, like, The Leftovers, um, I think it would be funny. But did you have any thoughts for that? But well, I guess oh that was only part one. Part two would be what show I'm adding him to. Um, that's tough. Um, what show would you add them to? Yeah, so part one is who would you add? Yeah, into what? Into what show? I don't know. Put Tracy Morgan in the young new pope. 
Let him play the Pope. <laughs> Maybe a cardinal. <laughs> like one of those like anachronistic stories <laughs> where like someone who definitely doesn't look or sound like the person they're portraying. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's just let him play himself as a visitor to the Vatican even. And I can just see him like getting lost on a tour and you know, by the season finale, he's in charge of the Catholic church. To me, like the one actor that stands out has to be like Christopher Walken just to, because of his like very recognizable tone and cadence of his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I could add him pretty, pretty much anything. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I don't know. This is, this is a tough one. I wish I'd had a little bit more time to prepare for it, but I, I like some years the beauty of it i guess yeah i mean he gave pretty good examples he said put matthew mcconaughey and barry as noho hanks boss or you can put keanu reeves in succession as an assassin so i think those are pretty two solid choices keanu's trending now too so I, i could see it and we'll see matthew mcconaughey as like a gangster boss in the in the gentleman this year as well sure yeah, so. he could be like Keanu could be a cool addition to the Mandalorian, without a mask. Uh, yeah, like knowing, knowing how this first season has ended, and knowing that Mando basically has to raise Baby Yoda as his own. Mm-hmm. That means either one of two things: like he's going to be training Baby Yoda to be like a Mandalorian fighter, or he's going to be taking care of him. It'd be cool if Keanu was like almost like the the guy in the dude with the big beard who like trains Beatrix kiddo. He's just like the Mando like trainer or something. That would be cool. Or someone kills baby Yoda and Keanu takes it personally, like his dog. Yeah. And And we get like a John Wick season of the Mandalorian. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That'd be pretty cool. That's funny. Um, but you, you mentioned that, um, esports is kind of like trending now as well. Um, we'll dive into that for a little bit before we wrap things up. Yeah. Yeah. So this next topic kind of blends two things that Kyle and I like video games and sports together. So, um, Jay Ajayi, who some of you might know if you're football fans was former running back for the Miami Dolphins and the Philadelphia Eagles before his career kind of took a, a halt due to some knee injuries, um, is apparently a big player of FIFA, the well-known soccer video game. Um, And news broke last week that the Philadelphia Union had signed Jay um, after his short stint with the Eagles to their professional esports team to be an MLS player. Um, And so I don't know if you saw the news about Kyle, but it was kind of blowing up, um, basically marking Jay Ajayi as the first professional athlete to become an esports professional athlete. Um, and <laughs> it's funny because it seems over the past week that it has, it was more intended as like a publicity stunt than anything. Um, and I don't know if you guys keep up with the world of professional FIFA, um, <laughs> but <laughs> Jay Ajayi in his first tournament, his first FIFA event uh, this past Thursday, he went over to and he had a oh. negative 61 goal differential, which was 41 goals worse than the next closest competitor. <laughs> so he really uh, wasn't so... any better at video game soccer <laughs> than he was at football yeah. this year. 
so you know the competition basically wiped the floor with Jay Ajayi. Um and you know someone of his stature who's probably earned millions in the NFL uh, is not too concerned about being publicly embarrassed in a Fiven tournament but I don't think this bodes well for the future of professional athletes in esports. No, but it seemed from what I saw is that he he pretty much like lit up the crowd and people were, were definitely there like cheering him on and um I think the whole event was sold out. Yeah, so I mean professionally athletes at least have a place in esports if not as like hype men. Mm-hmm. But uh so Jay, his signing as a professional esports athlete has also started to inspire others. Um, so there's a linebacker for the Tennessee Titans who has apparently expressed interest, Darren Bates, in a possible esports career part time. You know, outside of the um, the professional season of football, obviously he still has an AFC Championship to play. Um, but it'd be pretty cool to see some professional athletes maybe branching out into other areas yeah as long Um, as they know what they're doing (laughs) yeah i mean we know like plenty of basketball players are big into pc gaming these days um and i think even like in the highest profile in recent news um steph curry and jonas antikakupo kind of drew some suspicion where people thought they might have been like tampering with each other um after a game but it turned out that they were just talking about PUBG. Um, uh, and Steph was trying to recruit him to his PUBG squad. Well, um, tomorrow I saw on Twitter, um, I think it's Tim the Tatman on Twitch. Yeah. He'll be playing with Kyler Murray. Oh wow! Tomorrow it's like him. He's playing with Kyler Murray, and someone else he's streaming with is playing with um, someone else. I don't have it's right in front like of me. Squad streaming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. When when are they supposed to be streaming? Uh, that's actually tomorrow. Yeah, so that is... Yeah, I don't have it right in front of me. I guess I could look it up. If you like Dead Air, make sure you like <laughs> and comment to our <laughs> podcast. Um, I don't even know where I saw that. Well, regardless, if you want to watch pro athletes attempt to play video games with professional streamers, tomorrow is your chance to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't. I mean, that, that would be cool. I know Chris Long streams a bit. Um, I know Tim I and, know like, and Ninja, they play with um, one of the twins pitchers. <laughs> like, he's like an Not active, really. like, yeah, player in like their little squads that they're, that they're doing. I know Ben Simmons is a pretty active PC gamer. Um, I think Carl Anthony Towns is as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they, I don't know if it was this this season or the past season. They kind of caught some heat um, playing too many games because Ben Simmons was like trying to get him to get Cat to like queue up another game. It's like, who are you playing tomorrow? I think they were playing like the Knicks or somebody. He was like, oh, you can definitely play one more. <laughs> like basically, <laughs> like you don't you don't need your sleep, right? Other teams try. Mm-hmm. Nah, it's funny. But anyway, um, that's going to be the conclusion of our show. Did you have any final thoughts? Comments? Um, no. 
No, not really. Uh, send us some more some more ideas, like Aaron um, and the other question we got in today. Um, it was a lot of fun doing those, and we'll, I'll try to prepare a little bit more for next time to make sure that we have some adequate answers for you guys. Yeah, and as always, again, share. That definitely is the best way for us to grow and for us to obviously continue to do that um, is through you guys. Um, so if you're on Anchor, again, make sure you like, um, leave a comment. I think you can subscribe on there, share it, um, and we'll talk at you next week. See you then. Bye.